My first memory of Cranbrook was lining up in a queue outside Matron Fallon's room, which was halfway up the staircase in Rawson House, uh, to hand in our ration books because food was rationed and uh, out of your ration book, Matron Fell cut out the appropriate tea, sugar, meat. One of the meals we did not enjoy in the evenings was stale bread, hot milk and brown sugar. You're listening to the Cranbrook Living History Podcast Series. I am your host, Dr. David Thomas. In this episode, I talk with old Cranbrookian John Maffey from the class of 1952. John shares his insights into a Cranbrook after World War II, the Maffey family's long-standing connection with the school since its foundation, and especially their love of rowing. John, good morning. Good morning, David. Thank you for coming. You are one of people that we've, and one of the families we've, we've uh, picked out, obviously, to, to speak to about, about your time at Cranbrook and about your family's connection with the school. So welcome this morning. Thank you. Let me start this morning with uh, this wonderful photo here of your father. Uh, you, you just mentioned he was a stern photo. Was he a stern man? No, he wasn't. No, not at all. No. And uh, what are your memories of him? Well, my memories really are after the war because I was very young when he went away to Malaya and uh, there were five years in my early life and indeed when I started at Cranbrook and I didn't know him and he wouldn't have known that I had started at Cranbrook either that no. matter, because mm. he was a prisoner of the war mm. and uh, my grandmother very kindly made sure that it was possible for me to come in 1943 after the Japanese threat, Sydney had subsided and it was considered safe to live in Sydney once again. Mm. Mm. And this is your maternal grandmother or paternal? Uh, paternal. Paternal, right. Right, and so, so she provided for you to come. Mm. Indeed. Mm. Rowing, rowing is, goes right back to those early years and, and so your father must have been practically in one of the first boats that the school launched. Indeed, that would mm. be... Mm. Correct. He loved rowing, mm. and it was his love of rowing that uh, I inherited it. And did you and you rowed at school? Yes, I was captain of boats. In captain of boats, fifty-two. But we only rowed fours. Still, still only rowed fours. Well, after the war, there was no money. Uh, in fact, the school sold its eight to Melbourne Grammar. Uh, Brian Hone had his eyes on that, I think, and uh, it went south. We were left with uh, fours, and. Uh, Scots College was very kind to us and allowed us to row from their double bay shed. Mm. And men such as Ken Jolly and Gilbert Jones put rowing back on its feet after the, the war. Mm. There was no money available. There was a famous old Reg 4 which was clothed in uh, canvas, painted grey, weighed several tonnes, took more than four boys to put it into the water, uh, called the Bounty, and uh, a lot of us learnt to row in that very heavy, very cumbersome old four. Uh, then we had the Rexby Cater, which was a regulation four, which was our one and only racing boat until the end of 1952. Mm. And uh, all the maintenance was done by the coaches and the boys. In fact, oh, we came back during the holidays, and worked in the boat shed 
to keep our boats and oars in good nick. Good nick. Mm. Mm. There was another boat shed uh, that belonged, I think, to the Danger family mm. in Rose Bay. Yes. And John <clears throat> Reed, whom I think was a descendant of the Danger family, mm. uh, he, it was through his family that we had the use of it. But it really was only for, I think some pears may have gone out from there, but there was a big old uh, blue whaler, which the young boys had a lot of fun in. Mm. Uh, how much it you know, helped their actual rowing, I'm not too sure. Mm. Uh, but that was a shed that we also used. Of course, back in my father's day, they used a flying boat uh, shed for their... Uh, at at uh, Rose Bay? Yeah, I believe so. No, I think so. That's, mm. I think that's right. That's a very interesting point. Mm. I'd forgotten that. Uh, uh, yes. And, and um, was there sailing as well? There was sailing as a school sport? Sailing started. Mm. Ken Jolly was a very keen sailor. Mm. He used to take some of us out on one of the boats that sailed to in early days of the Sydney Hobart Yacht Race. He was oh, a okay. member of the crew and uh, mm. some weekends uh, he took a, a couple of boarders with him to uh, mm. sail. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the name of the boat. But um, sailing became, uh, by the time I joined the staff back in 1957, sailing was a, a sport. Yes, a sport. The new, uh, yes. Boat ship in Rose Bay. Mm. The Mick Grace boat ship, yes. Yes. It wasn't named that. No, it wasn't days. named that until much later. No, that's true. You've had, your family's had a very rich and wonderful history with the school, and your father was the first enrolled boy, is that right? Well, he started. Yes, really, the day before school started. He, uh, How did that happen? Oh, they, that's right. I read the story. Tell yeah. us about that story. Well, his parents apparently were not told that boys weren't welcome at the uh, official opening uh, when uh, the governor opened the, uh, the school on the twenty-second. But he and one other boy actually uh, were there, uh, and they then had to be housed because my grandparents had to return to. Singleton by train that night, mm. and so he was left with a, another lad uh, on their own in the uh, boarding house for that uh, first for that night. night. Mm. Well, that must have been wonderful. Did he ever speak about that day? I mean, that's to be there at the opening. Uh, did I he leave any reminiscences about I that? I think he was very awestruck, really. Yes, that's a, probably right. Twelve-year-old boy. Yes, you know, makes a lot of uh, mm. uh, very important people for the official opening. Oh, of course, uh, of course, and. Uh, his father, of course, was a founder of yes, the yes. school, and I think would have known quite a few of the men who were there, the key men yes. who were the founders, I mean, people like Danga or Danga family, and mm. uh, he may have well have known Dr. Ludowisi and Dr. Skipton Stacy, mm. uh, and I'm sure he would have known uh, Mr. Perkins mm. because... Uh, my grandfather did arts at Sydney University prior to uh, doing medicine. And uh, although he may have been a year or two ahead of uh, Perkins, they uh, both were obviously interested in the classics because I note that Mr. Perkins uh, majored in Greek and Latin. Uh, and my grandfather matriculated from Melbourne 
University, Melbourne Grammar School, I should say, uh, with Latin, Greek, French, and English. So right. uh, obviously their interests would have uh, well, we the same. come together at mm. university. Mm. And I would think they probably came across one another later. Uh, I think Mr. Perkins was a clergyman in his uh, Newcastle diocese. Uh, and my grandfather's first position was superintendent of the Newcastle General Hospital. Mm. And he then moved from there to Singleton. Singleton was in the diocese of Newcastle. And uh, my grandfather and grandmother were very involved in the church uh, in Singleton. And uh, no doubt uh, there's a possibility that Perkins and Haffey Families with a connection, connection there, yes, and certainly with the Lanker family. Because, mm. Uh, mm. He uh, went to Singleton. My grandmother went as the first trained nurse ever to go to Singleton in the district uh, to uh, be matron of a hospital, mm. and uh, they uh, were married in All Saints Singleton in 1904, and the Danger family were very involved with the establishment of the church building and maintenance of the church in Singleton mm. for mm. many years because they owned a magnificent home just out of Singleton called Varuna. Mm. I remember somewhere in, in the notes there's a, a reference to a home called Canimbla. That my grandfather built mm. that home mm. uh, and when he was supposed to have retired uh, just before the war. Uh, we, my parents moved into Canimbla uh, and I lived there for a couple of years as a small mm. boy. Uh, but when he went to the war, my mother and I sort of camp followed him around the state before he went overseas. Mm. Uh, but he moved back into Canimbla because when we moved out, because his retirement uh, only lasted about 18 months, I think, because uh, the war mm. came and mm. they were short of doctors and uh, he... Off he went. He came back into the practice to mm. win dad. So um, not only were, is your family one of the founders of the school, but have a, a great deal of philanthropy and giving and, and uh, for, for, for people, you know, a lot of thought and care about that. How does that play out in your life? Well, I, I guess it's continued. <laughs> I hope it has. Because my interest has been in education. Mm. So I guess education and health would be the two aspects that uh, following from my father and grandfather. Mm. Uh, I might add that my father's grandfather was also a doctor. So I was the first break in the tradition of uh, doing medicine uh, for four generations. And that was and that was quite acceptable. Oh yes, 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 yes of course. And your mother endowed a prize for for the school. No, that was my grandmother. Oh, that was your grandmother. Yes, she. Uh, my father was uh, junior house prefect in nineteen twenty three, a year which I think he enjoyed very much, mm. and he uh, left and went to uh, Sydney University, and I think. During 1925, my grandmother endowed that prize. It was a character prize, mm. which pleased Mr. Perkins very much because it was something he 
It's very key. Mm. And those those are prizes for character continue on to you know, until you know, today, and hopefully they will continue. Though that you know, prizes for character and and contribution to the school are very important. Yes, well, I can I clearly remember every year before prize day, my father sending off a check to cover mm. the cost of the, the book or whatever it was. Mm. When he died, uh, he left a sum of money to the school. And I discussed with the then headmaster, Bruce Carter, uh, whether it could perhaps uh, be a contribution towards the endowment of the L.M. Maffey Prize. Mm. Um, and uh, my mother and I contributed further to that. And uh, Dr. Carter uh, said that it would be endowed. Uh, it has been presented nearly every year since 1925, but for some years, uh, it was not a character prize. It was first prize in third form. Mm. Now, third form in those days in main school was sixth class primary. Mm. And uh, it was presented then. Then when the junior school became a very separate entity, uh, it went back into the junior school. Yeah. May have been at the end of Roland's time. I just can't right. recall. Mm. Might have been Guy Moyes' time as master mm. in charge of the junior school. I remember John Moyer writing to me, uh, probably in the nineteen eighties, and asking whether they could change the wording of the prize, uh, which I agreed to, and uh, it uh, I think it's been presented ever since. Ever since. Mm. Mm. Actually, I was invited to present the prizes in 1991 at the junior school, uh, but regrettably it was the day of uh, our speech day at grammar, and uh, I was being farewelled at the end of 19 <laughs> years, so, was, so I wasn't able to accept John's invitation to, uh, mm. to Cranbrook Junior School. So um, you were you were at school under both Hone and Hewn. Correct. And could you please give us some insights into Hone first and then Hewn? Hone, of course, came during the war, a very tough time. Uh, I remember it was rather... I'd been in the country in Corindai for two years before I came down to Sydney, and... Uh, my first memory of Cranbrook was lining up in a queue outside Matron Fallon's room, which was halfway up the staircase in Rawson House, uh, to hand in our ration books because food was rationed. And uh, out of your ration book, Matron Fallon cut out the appropriate tea, sugar, um, meat, and one other, I think there were four food coupons that she was very interested in. And uh, then going across to junior school and meeting up with Miss Clark, the matron of junior school, clothes were uh, hard to come by. Uh, a lot of things were hand-me-downs, I think, uh, for the school uniform. Um, Hone was a very awe-inspiring man. He towered about us little junior school boys uh, and it obviously made a very great impression in the school in the couple of years that he'd been here before my arrival. 
And I was, I believe, so Ken Filton, who was, who knew everything about Cranbrook, uh, Ken told me that I was the second old boy son to come into the school. And in fact, as the years went by, he informed me that I was the first to ever go right through the junior school and oh, okay. school. Mm. Uh, but uh, things were, were pretty tough. Uh, mm. The air raid shelters were still all around Horton Oval. Mm. We still had practices going down to the air raid shelters. Uh, mm. And this is this school. is prior to forty five, isn't it? Oh yes, yes. I'm mm. going back to forty three. Mm. Mm. Uh, by forty five, I think uh, air raid uh, practices had been abandoned. But mm. uh, early in the piece, we all tore down there when the bell was rung, and uh, there was a wonderful master called uh, A.P. Scott who rang the bell every day. I think there's a famous photo of him actually striking Ringing the, the bell. bell. And was that on the corner of the of the stone veranda? Indeed, yes. it was. Mm. Yes. Mm. Uh, food was short. Mm. Uh, as boarders, we uh, were always very interested in what <laughs> might be put before us. <laughs> it wasn't always a great deal. Um, one of the meals we did not enjoy in the evenings was in junior school was um, stale bread, hot milk, and brown sugar. Oh my goodness. Was that a Sunday night or a normal no, weeknight? No, it was a weekday. No. Oh dear. Um, and jelly was a, a very good dessert. There's always the famous, uh, one remembers the famous occasion when a, <coughs> we waited on tables ourselves. Yes. And uh, a boy came in with a, an enamel uh, plate of uh, uh, junket, tripped, and it went straight into the lap of the master in charge of the junior school. And whilst it was amusing, we also realised we weren't going to have anything to eat. <laughs> yeah, that night. Uh, so, so you were. Um, now, let's just work this out. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting a bit dim here. But uh, as a junior school boy, were you in Cotway? No, no Cotway hadn't been built. So, so where were you? We were you in the main House. building. No, Harvey House. On oh, Harvey House, mm. right? Of course, mm. Harvey House. Okay. And so the juniors were there. How many junior boarders were there? Forty or so. Forty. I mean, I honestly. No, no. Uh, borders were upstairs. Yes. Classrooms were downstairs. Yes, yes. I, I remember that, but I, I, well, I don't remember that. I wasn't here, obviously, but I remember reading about that. But I'm also fascinated by these ration books. I mean, that's that is so funny. I've never, never heard that that the students had to have a ration book. Well, we, all people. Yes, yes, all I know. But, but even I, I thought maybe the school had had a ration quota. <laughs> And then you were rationed out according to the quota. No, and you had to present it to the to the to the matron. Yes, or the sister. Mm. Well, isn't that fascinating? The matron was more or less the housekeeper, I think. Yes, it's a rather. Yes, glamorous name. Perhaps I don't think she had any medical qualifications because there was a school sister as well. Yes, yes. So did matron was matron dressed normally, or did she have a uniform? Like you know, with those, no, those no, white, no, 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 she didn't wear a veil or anything. No, no, no. she no. was in civilian mm. clothes. So. <laughs> well, that's but uh, Hone was um, look later on in the senior school. I remember he used to invite us uh, boarders, senior boarders, uh, to his house on a Sunday night to listen to classical music. And hmm. uh, music wasn't a, a very strong subject in those days. 
but he did have community singing in the old gym. We used to go down there, I think, once a week, mm. uh, just before recess, mm -hmm. and uh, he had community singing in the whole school. In the gym, uh, in the original gym. gym. Yes, yes. Mm. I think Mr. Brumby was the pianist, if I remember correctly. Mm. Mm. And and do you remember in those years was what what about arts and plays and things were they strong? Plays uh, after the war came back onto the scene. Mm. Uh, people like Alec Child and Gilbert Jones were very uh, very strong strong in that mm. area, uh, but we couldn't perform big shows at school because we had nowhere to stage them. No, of course not. Um, Richard the Second was. Uh, staged in 1952 in the, I think, in the uh, cathedral school. Oh, really? Somewhere there in the cathedral mm. in, in town. Mm. Staged Richard II. Really? Art, well, of course, Hone appointed Justin O'Brien. Mm. And he was a, a leading light, of course, in the art world. Uh, Were you yeah. taught by Justin O'Brien? Well, he tried to teach me. Uh, <laughs> I won't say he was very successful. Uh, but, uh, yes, Art was uh, on the program. And, of course, uh, he had several very well-known uh, old Cranbrookians. Mm, mm, artists. Mm. Was, was he well-liked, home Or respected? Was very he? respected. Mm. And uh, I think uh, Mike mm. was. Mm. 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 He seems to have left a, a, a huge uh, legacy to the school. I mean, the house system, the, a lot of you know those sort of things that he began still continue. The individual was very important. Yes, mm. uh, and he was uh, gave you responsibility and uh, expected you to play your part. And uh, I think we rose to that challenge and uh, mm. accepted it. Mm. Were you, ever, were you ever a member of the school committee? Yes. Mm. I don't know whether it was very strong uh, in the days, but I do remember in my final year uh, there being a school committee. Mm. Mm. And then Hewan? Hewan uh, arrived at the beginning of second term, 1951. Uh, at that time, I was doing the Reading Institute for the first time. Hone very much believed in the idea that we were too young to go to the university at 16 or 17, and he encouraged people to repeat sixth form and have another year before going on to university. He really uh, foresaw the Wyndham scheme, I think, in mm. a way. Mm. six years rather than five years of secondary education. I was a prefect in Stacy House. Now, Stacy House in the early 1950s was the boarding house for first form boarders, mm. removed, as they mm. were called in those days. Uh, and we had all those boarders in what is now as so I walked along the drive, I see as the hospital and the remedial centre. Well, that was Stacy House. Mm. And uh, we had a very comfortable setup there as prefects. We had a 
very nice study in the veranda of it, in our own bathroom, and uh, it was uh, a very comfortable situation. But we thoroughly enjoyed that year. My father enjoyed being prefect of the junior house in 1923, and I enjoyed it in 1951. And uh, we were very close to the headmaster's residence. You were, just across and the fence. Yes. Well, mm. there was no fence. No, there was no fence. And when Beth and Hewan arrived, mm. and his family a little later, uh, his daughters soon discovered that uh, there were boys uh, on the other side of the <laughs> And they used to come and, uh, and uh, I mean, never into the house, but they used to come along the front of the uh, house and uh, talk to us after school. And uh, we got to know Mrs. Hewan very well. And uh, uh, that relationship uh, extended for many years because uh, it was Hewan who guided me to, to education. Mm and uh, made it possible for me to do it, and it was a mentor of mine for many years. Mm -hmm. When you say he made it possible for you to do it? Well, I knew nothing about it. Mm. I wanted to go on the land and had imagined that I'd go off to an agricultural college following my time at school. Ewan had other ideas. He went up to Mittagong to look at Frenchmen for his daughters. And whilst he was in the area, apparently, he went across to Tudor House, which was a boys' preparatory school, very much based on the English system at the time, because they had first form. They went to 13 years of age. And he met the headmaster and uh, was very impressed with the school and the head, Edward Dixon. And uh, he got chatting, and apparently my name came up, and Gethin Hewan said, I've got a young man, I think, who should come and spend some time with you. Uh, he came back to Cranbrook and uh, said that he'd like me, after the leaving certificate, to spend a weekend at Tudor House. Uh, so uh, much to, I think, uh, Cabby Bell's amusement, the housemaster Rawson, uh, I went off after the leaving certificate to Tudor House. Fell in love with the place. I loved the country. I wasn't very keen on the city. And here was a, a prep school of 100 boarders on 150 acres, uh, able to uh, you know, really enjoy outdoor life as well as uh, mm. school life. Mm. And Geth uh, and Hewan arranged for me to go there for one or two years, rather like a gap year today. Mm, mm. Uh, I went, I was given incredible responsibility, encouraged, loved it, stayed for two years until very wisely my father said, I think if you want to be a school teacher, you'd better train uh, to become one. Uh, and uh, from there I went to uh, teacher's college. Thoroughly enjoyed that because I'd already had two years mm. experience in the classroom and lived the life. I mean, you being there, we were out of town, uh, <coughs> transport was not easy, so uh, when you went there, you were virtually there for 13 weeks because it's battery weight of three terms. Three terms. Mm. Uh, and uh, you, uh, that's where you stayed. And you had to be resourceful. Indeed. Mm. And I fortunately had scouting to fall back on, which I 
loved here at Cranbrook. Mm. Uh, I'd been through the Cubs, the Scouts. I'd uh, obtained my Scout Cord, Junior Scouts, went on and uh, got my King's Scout uh, mm. badge in the senior school. Uh, and then I don't think they knew quite what to do with me in my last year, so they made me an assistant scoutmaster. But because I wasn't old enough, I was by letter of appointment. Is <laughs> that right? <laughs> so uh, when I went to Tudor, uh, I was to help with the scouts. I never really helped because before the first weekend arrived, I was asked if I'd take, take charge of them, uh, which I did and thoroughly enjoyed it. And in fact, when I was at Teachers College, I used to go back most weekends to run the scout trip for them. So I kept my links with the school mm. and, uh, after I left for those two years. Mm. So all, so all that, uh, that, that training and being a prefect, you know, and Stacy and, and all that, obviously, and liking those, working with those younger boys, going to Tudor House was absolutely fantastic for you. It was. It mm. was. A very happy years of my life, and in mm. fact, after we were married, uh, my wife enjoyed it immensely. Also, mm. Mm. it's a wonderful thing that that uh, Hewan pushed you in that direction. He saw something in you. Well, if I may just jump ahead a little bit, mm. when I finished uh, teachers' college, because I'd had that two years of experience, I had done very well in. Uh, practice teaching, and I came out the top practice teaching for all students, and the principal of the teacher's college, very unwisely, uh, said to me that I'd be appointed to a demonstration school. Now, that was a little unheard of, to go straight from teacher's college into a demonstration school, and I was a little surprised, but I was obviously very chuffed about it. Uh, when the appointments came out, that wasn't so. They hadn't listened to the principal, or the Department of Education hadn't listened, and I was a little disappointed. So I came out to talk to Gethin Hewan, who very kindly gave me some time, and I always remember he said to me, John, do you want to teach in departmental schools or in independent schools? And I said, well, eventually in independent schools. And he said, why don't you start now? And I said, well, look, we're only a few days away from the start of the school year. I don't think I'm likely to get a position. And I said, I know your own junior schools, uh, there are no vacancies. And he said, I'm not talking about the junior school, I'm talking about the senior school. And I said, well, I'm not really qualified to teach in the senior school. And he said, but you've been teaching first form at Tudor House. He said, you've had experience. He said, you could manage first and second year here. And with that, I said, well, will you give me a few hours to think about it? Can I let you know tomorrow? And he said, oh, yes, and you can help Mark Bishop establish Street House. We've just bought the house up the road. And uh, you know Mark, and you could go up there and uh, be a house tutor. So I went away and thought about it and quickly made a decision that it might be a good idea to accept his offer. And I came back and taught English, history, geography and science in first and second forms. Mm. Uh, 
departments didn't really, really like me because so they called a departmental meeting. So where would you go? Yes, precisely. Exactly. And, uh, mm. I can well remember some embarrassing <laughs> time before. Give your apologies. That's right. <laughs> Try to keep everyone happy. Yes. Mm. But at the same time, I was still linked with Judah House because uh, as a scouter, I had done my wood badge, which was the top qualification for being a scouter. And uh, I needed to be associated with a scout troop, and I'd maintained it with Judah House, and I used to go back. When I could get escape from Street House, uh, I used to go back up for a day or two uh, to the uh, Judah House. And it was during that time that a housemaster's uh, housemastership came vacant. And uh, Edward Dixon invited me to go back to Tudor House. So I discussed it with Gethin here and he said, look, if that's where you'd like to be, you by all means go. So I really only stayed at Cranwell in 1957. Yes. It was interesting in those days, of course, all the science was taught in this building. Mm. Or oh, chemistry, I'm sorry. Chemistry was In this building, that's right. Building. Yes. And you had to duck underneath the clothes on the clothesline to get here. And in fact, the steam used to rise from the steam from, laundry, from, from the laundry into the just there. chemistry That's right. lecture room. Yes. Uh, uh, Which must have been here. This was the uh, lecture room, I think. That's right. And the prep room was probably on this, yes, the other yes, side above right. the carpentry. That's right. Shop. But yes. And that's another area which I loved at school, mm. carpentry. Uh, Mr. Mm. Dunn used to take carpentry mm. and... Uh, it was an extra subject after school. Mm. And I still have bookends and stools and tables in my home that I made in that. There you go. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And carpentry continued for a long time after that, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, as an extra, as you said. But then the school laundry that used to uh, clean your clothes as a board and they'd be starched together. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those funny things. When I first came here, the laundry was still here too. So, you know, a lot of those things continued on. Well, in fact, <clears throat> for a period after the war, uh, some of the clothes were not ironed because there, was, uh, there were strikes, mm. uh, electricity strikes, mm. and uh, they, we had to save electricity. We had to, uh, well, there was no electricity. You had to wear crumpled clothes. Yes, and uh, we uh, also... Uh, Homework was done with uh, kerosene pressure lamps mm. and the old mm. uh, lanterns that one had when one went camping. Mm. And if you were on duty on lamps, you had to trim the lamps and clean the glass. Trim, uh, trim the wicks. That's yes, right. trim, mm. trim the wicks and mm. uh, clean the glass. Clean the glass. And uh, those pressure lamps were those very fragile mantles after they'd mm. been used or often got knocked and broken and had to be replaced. And, replaced. But that was probably about 1948, I think, mm. when there were coal strikes mm. and uh, so on. There was quite a bit of industrial activity. Yes. Then, yes. So you were here just for the one year, 57, was that right? On start. Yes. Yes, yes on start. Mm. And so uh, what, what's interesting about what you said is that, uh, which I think Bishop picked up as a, as a headmaster as well, and that is that, that Hewan said to you, of course you can teach, you know, look, you've had all this experience, you've been at Tudor House, you know, etc. you've worked with the boarders here, I'm going to give you a go. And I remember on numerous occasions talking to Mark Bishop after I came here 
about him giving that same opportunity to other people. Well, Mark was mm. given many opportunities by home. Yes, uh, of course. I talked to Mark mm. about that, mm. uh, and uh, he challenged his young masters mm. uh, to get out and not only do things, different things in the school, but also in uh, the community mm. outside mm. of the school. And so, so Hewan had that as well, didn't he? I think so. Yes, yes. yes. Mm. Did you? You obviously knew Mark Bishop very well. Mark taught me, mm-hmm. and then I was in uh, Street House Street for House a year with him, mm. and then of course I knew him again as an old boy and uh, in the education. Mm. Mm. Tell us, uh, tell us about Mark Bishop. What, what are your memories of him? Mark was a, a, a great teacher, very enthusiastic, loved science, and passed that love on to his students. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Mark was not here in my senior years. He had uh, been on exchange. He went on exchange to Marlborough, mm-hmm. and uh, he was away for two years. We had a delightful uh, chemistry teacher from Marlborough in his place, uh, Mr. Seymour, who had the wonderful initials of DRGS, and of course had the nickname very quickly Drugs. Um, and he taught us uh, chemistry. Uh, I maintained that friendship uh, afterwards uh, in 1960, the year after I was married. We went straight from, nearly straight from Cranbrook Chapel, where we were married, to um, England. And mm. uh, we spent a, a very happy weekend with the Seymour's at Marlborough College mm. uh, when uh, I was teaching over there. So, so you are uh, you are started street house with Mark Bishop, yes. or you you assisted him. Yes. What was that like well, up on the hill there? It was a challenge. We were mm. away from the school, but then again, I'd been in Rona as a boy. That's right. Uh, when uh, in 1947, the school leased Rona, all the first form boarders, uh, might have been second form, 1948, lived up there, and we had to come down for all our meals and go back again. There was a great, you know, backwards and forwards. Uh, and that was a wonderful opportunity for a young boy. I mean, we had lovely grounds to play in and it was great for scouting. Uh, you could pitch a tent and camp out and uh, do various things in the grounds of Rona. Street House didn't have quite the same grounds. No. But it certainly had the same uh, view and... Uh, it was a, an interesting, interesting year as Mark established the routine and pattern of uh, a boarding house off campus. Mm. And, then, and what was he like as a boarding house master? I think he was a very fair and uh, very compassionate uh, mm. man. He and Nola would always invite senior boys and, and staff, and you know, often in for supper and uh, mm. for a yarn and so on. Mm. How many boys did you have up there, do you remember, to begin with? I quite honestly can't remember. I, all the tro- uh, no, the Spartans went up there. Brawson House was divided into Spartans and Trojans. Mm. Uh, I was a Trojan and became head of the Trojans. Uh, and I remember feeling a little, well, the Spartans had been moved into Street House. That's not my house, but uh, there was nothing to worry about. No. Right. Um, 
it was um, so it'd be around about I'd say sixty. Mm. So that, that's quite a number. Mm. I I didn't realise it was so large. I thought maybe forty, but yeah, that's interesting. I would think. Mm. Well, no, I'm going back to thinking in the dining room. The Spartans sat on one side and Trojans on the other side of the dining room, mm. and there were about sixty on each side. On each hundred and twenty in horse. That's quite a lot, you know. We, we don't have anywhere near that now, so no, no. I mean, obviously, circumstances have changed, but well, that's that's interesting. Mm. And and so it went from like from a remove right through up there. Uh, yes, yes. yes, yes. <clears throat> mm. But you still had to come down to the school for meals, didn't you? Meals and chapel and mm. all those things. all those things. Yes, the chapel played a, a big part in my life. I mean. Um, uh, Mr. Perkins had been the first headmaster. My father was confirmed. In fact, I have a, a little book here which uh, Perkins gave my father in 1919 after he'd been confirmed. Oh, goodness. Uh, he was at the, he didn't actually uh, officiate, but he assisted in marriage of my parents. Uh, <coughs> they were married in a Methodist church, but he was there. Uh, I even have a letter that my grandfather wrote to my parents on their honeymoon telling them that he had driven Mr. Perkins safely back into the city after the wedding. Uh, Mr. Perkins christened me in the school chapel in 1935, although he was no longer headmaster. Uh, I was confirmed in the school chapel I was the senior chapel warden in 1952 there, and I was married in the school chapel. And I've taken services, first as a senior boy, and secondly as a house tutor uh, in the chapel. So mm. I know it's no longer there. I did come to the, uh, the occasion when some Chapel furniture was dedicated uh, not so many years ago. Not so many years ago, uh, no. I did attend that service. I was there that night too. Mm. Right. Mm. So there must have been a, a school chaplain as well during yeah, well, your senior years. Who was that? Uh, Arthur Dean, Peter Newell, and of course Mr. Perkins was, yeah, Mr. Uh, was there until the end of 1946. Wow. Mm. And I was. So you left junior school at the end of fifth class. Mm. So sixth class was third form or shell, I think. Shell. Uh, I've never heard of that. What's that mean? What's that mean? Or very English uh, terminology. Mm. Uh, shell and remove and then uh, fourth form. Fifth. Mm. Upper fifth. Sixth. Mm. So with all these... Uh, with all these uh, Contacts with Perkins, you must have known Perkins quite well. I won't say quite well, mm. but I think he took an interest in me at school because mm. he taught Dad, and I was yes. the first old boy son that had got to that stage. Sure. And uh, he uh, took a great interest in me because he knew I, my grandfather, grandparents. My mother and father were teenage sweethearts, and mm. they both came from Singleton. Mm. Dad came to Cranbrook. My mother went to Claremont College, Randwick. Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, I even to this day have a receipt where he sent some chocolates to my mother in 1922 for the great sum of three and sixpence. 
My goodness, you you do have a, a huge hoard of uh, memorabilia, don't you? I mean, this that's what a wonderful thing that it is. That you have obviously things here for to give to the archives. Well, no. I'm oh, you're going show to show them. them. <laughs> oh, you're not going to give them to them. Right? I've, I've but still, them. I've given a lot to the archives. Yes, I hear. Mm. John, your um, your father was a, a great contributor to the to the school archives, and the school was most uh, appreciative of that. I mean, here there is. Um, one one of these things is a lot lot of photos uh, here, and I'll, I don't know whether we have a copy of that. But this uh, photo of um, of the school building, and uh, so he was obviously a, a a good photographer, and he he took an interest in that, didn't he? He was very interested here at school. Uh, in fact, it followed into medicine. He uh, was uh, established one of the first X-ray rooms not attached to a hospital, but in a surgery, mm. probably in rural New South Wales after he graduated. Uh, he always developed and printed his own photos and did so, uh, well, many years after the war. Mm. And and he also produced... Um, uh, he produced, or you produced, some memories of the first five or six years of school. Was that you or was that, was that your father? I think that was probably my father. Yes, and uh, that's been in. Oh, that's right. Yes. So, obviously, you and your family have uh, been instrumental in nurturing that 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 history of the school and contributing strongly to it. Well, he was always very proud of his association with the school. Mm. In his study, the his awe which was given to members of the first eight in mm. 1923. Mm. Uh, he always had his oar in his study and the photo of the crew. Which is obviously this. So, you know, this is uh, obviously that oar. Uh, yes, he actually uh, sabotaged that oar to fit it into a, a room. At one stage he had it cut in half <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately kept the uh, the uh, or the uh, that's a, the that's the on the blade. Mm. And, uh, he kept that half and put the other half uh, under the house, which I resurrected and put back together again when I gave it to the school after oh, right. he died. Mm. Uh, but uh, yes, no, he uh, he had meant uh, a great deal of memorabilia. Sure, and then coming back to this um, and your and our discussion about rowing in those early years. Your, your father did donate ten pounds towards uh, the beginnings of you know the fund to purchase. That was my grandfather. That was your grandfather, yes. sorry. And, yes, uh, and so so that that even goes back, and so that is uh, very very important over those years. That sort of you know giving giving to the school. In fact, I think my mother and father gave a cup. You were mentioning houses uh, rowing. Mm. They gave a cup for the House Pairs, the winner of the House Pairs back in 1950-something. I don't think I've ever heard of that cup. So, I mean, that's something we should tease out. No, but I'm just saying, as I said to you before, I don't, uh, I don't, you know, there was never any, uh, there was never any inter-house rowing, you know, since I, only between the school and the old boys. Yes. Yes, and so, I mean, I'm interested in this, if I may, just pick this up as well. Uh, I know we have time is, is short, but this um, this uh, badge, uh, 1923, which belonged to your father, uh, 
Do you remember where he wore this? Was this on his blazer or it's was a lapel it? badge? Oh, it was a lapel badge. In fact, I wore that. Did you? Uh, yes, he gave it to me, and uh, it was a, a large lapel badge. Mm. Uh, the ones that we had when I was school were quite small, mm. but uh, that was quite a large one, and uh, I. Uh, I hummed and hard as to whether I'd give it to the archives or keep it, and I finally decided I should give it to the uh, to the archives because it uh, was probably a fairly rare. Uh, well, it's uh, an interesting thing because the, um, if I may digress, uh, the 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 colouring of it is is uh, is completely different to what you know that uh, well not so much the badge today, but the badge that I first began with in 1972. This. This is, seems to be gold here, around the fields. I mean, just uh, it's wonderful. But why, why was he presented, or did everyone have one, or did well, what? I can't answer that. I, I feel it was just a school uh, lapel badge. I mean, we had them, <coughs> uh, and as all the first crew mm. in my day got crossed oars. Uh, we given the we still badge. do that. We still do that yeah, with, with a school badge with the cross doors behind yes. it. Mm. We still do that. Mm. But I'm really interested because uh, there's a move in the school today, in the senior school, to to cut down on the number of badges. You know that they feel somehow that there are too many badges. But this is quite interesting. I just wondered whether whether that was ever ever uh, presented. No, or I just given, or everyone just had one. I think probably it was just a mark of being in the school. Mm. And you, uh, obviously, uh, we've talked about it, you went into education and you've had a very distinguished career in education and uh, finally being awarded the Order of Australia for your, for your contributions. So it covered many, many years, didn't it? How many years were you in education directly? Oh, from virtually 1953 to 1991. Mm. Uh, I went to Tudor House, stayed there for several years, uh, mar was married. The school council very kindly gave me uh, study leave for a year. Uh, we went to, uh, as soon as we were married, my wife and I went to England by ship, uh, and uh, I taught at the Dulwich College Preparatory School, just out of London, for a year returned to Tudor House and uh, was asked to act as senior master in 1964, I think it was, uh, whilst the headmaster was overseas on leave. And uh, we then, our family suddenly uh, extended very quickly. We had a son and he was followed by uh, triplet sons mm. and suddenly we had four boys and only two bedrooms, so uh, it was uh, there was pressure to find it. Uh, the school very kindly offered to to do something, but it wasn't getting really be very satisfactory. So I started to look further afield, and I actually my first appointment as a head of junior school was Scots College Warwick in Queensland. Mm. We went up there for two years, and then I was appointed to Canberra Grammar Junior School and had five years there before being appointed as headmaster of Sydney Grammar St. Irish Preparatory School for 19 years. What a wonderful career. What, what, what would you say is uh, 
your greatest contribution to education? Well, I very much enjoyed being a member of the what was then called the Junior School Heads Association of Australia. Uh, on my return to Sydney, I was invited to take over the chairmanship of the New South Wales branch uh, immediately on my arrival back. Uh, and I went from there to being Federal Secretary of the uh, Association and then National Chairman. And I think it was during uh, that those two years that I was able to contribute, have some contribution uh, in that uh, I was able to negotiate with Headmasters Conference that the Junior School Heads Association should become an autonomous body, uh, which they agreed to in a very historic meeting at Sydney Grammar School, College Street, uh, and we were enabled that enabled us to take in girls' schools and other schools of which were not the, the main independent schools in the six capitals of, the, of mm. the country. And what year was that? That, that was 1984. 1984. Mm. Mm. So, so that's a, a, a very uh, significant milestone in your career to do that. Well, it was uh, an exciting time, mm. a challenging time. Mm. <laughs> and... If I may ask you, um, what, what would be, if, what would you say that is the underlying educational philosophy of your career? Look, I believe that children learnt in a happy atmosphere. The environment had to be a happy one, which involved the boys, the staff, and the parents. And I think that the recognition of parents that I meet today, of boys who are in the school, who continually say what happy times they were, mm. that to me has been very rewarding. But of course, Sydney Grammar was very uh, academic, uh, but my view was that a boy not only grew up in the classroom, but he grew up in the community, in his school community, and in the community outside the school, mm. and that he should play his part and be a member of that. And so, uh, following on from Brian home, I wanted to see music, art, adventure, uh, uh, drama, uh, debating, chess, all the aspects that are now accepted into primary schools, but in the early days were somewhat rare. So, so therefore, both Hone and Hewan have had a had had a quite a, an impact upon your educational career. Indeed, I spent a, a week in Melbourne Grammar from Tudor House in 1953 with Hone. Mm. Uh, Hone also had a very high regard for one of my godfathers, who was school architect here at Cranbrook and various other schools. And I think when Hone moved down to Melbourne Grammar, he wanted to uh, brighten the place up a little and uh, carry out some extensions. And uh, uh, I had a, a very interesting week with uh, mm. Hone. 
Well, I think I've kept you uh, long enough, and I know you have another appointment. Is there anything else that you would like to add this morning? No, except to say that I think Cranbrook's had a made a very different impression on me as a boy, and many of the things that I did here at school, I have been able and been blessed to have the opportunity to uh, put in place in, in education, not only in the in schools that I've been connected with, but in broader sense too, because I've mm. been fortunate enough to be able to make some contributions in the Australian College of Education. And, uh, later on, after leaving uh, education, the Australian Decorative and Fine Arts Society, national body there, and uh, even in such retired organisations as Probus and the mm-hmm. local church and things of mm. that nature. Thank you, John, for giving us this snapshot of your life. I hope you will continue with me on this journey as we delve into the memories of Cranbrook and the many people who are connected with this great school.